Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. It's exciting to be here today to welcome Rob and also just to have him back at Berkeley at this time. We uh, did a reminiscent conversation last night and then went to Chez Panisse upstairs, the cafe, for dinner, and they had a special uh, post-election menu with free champagne and people dancing. And, the, and I would give you the impression that Berkeley's much more fun than it really usually is. Which was... <laughs> Robin Blazer was born in Denver, Colorado in 1925. And he uh, grew up in Twin Falls, Idaho, uh, which is near Blazer, Idaho, which is, uh, was founded by his uh, paternal Mormon grandfather. Uh, his mother was Roman Catholic and shielded him, he said, to some extent from, um, from the uh, patriarchal inheritance. Um, he, he started college at, actually, he, after high school, got a scholarship to go to Northwestern University and, write, and he started writing some poetry there. And then he spent a year at college, at College of Idaho. And in 1946, fall of 1946, he came to Berkeley. And over the next few years, he met Robert Duncan and Jack Spicer. They talked poetry, wrote poetry, woke the young Robin Blazer up to poetry. And over the next 10 years, as an undergraduate, as a graduate student uh, in literature, and then he got a library degree, he wrote poems. This was a period when Allen Ginsberg and Gary Snyder had arrived in Berkeley, when William Everson and Muriel Rukeyser were around. It was the moment of the waking up. Some people said the Berkeley Renaissance started the San Francisco Renaissance, which met the Beat Generation and the New York School Poets and remade American poetry in those years. Robin left Berkeley to go to Cambridge as a librarian. He worked at the Widener Library there for five years, during which time he went to Europe. He also went to New York, where he met Frank O'Hara, John Ashbery, and the poets who became the poets of the New York School. And then he came back to the Bay Area uh, in the 60s and stayed for another five years. So the legendary events of that time, the Berkeley Poetry Conference and the Vancouver Poetry Conference Robin was in the thick of. And then uh, having gone to Vancouver, he was offered a job at Simon Fraser University where he went in 65 or 66 and, and taught for 30 years was at Simon Fraser University. Someone described him as the resident mystic. And many Canadian writers, from Michael Ondaatje to George Bowering, have said that he, he grew uh, uh, the Canadian uh, literary avant-garde uh, over a period of 30 years. We're so lucky to have him back here today. I just want to give you uh, his collected poems from UC Press. Uh, which, as he worked on it over the years, like Walt Whitman, Leaves of Grass, he began to conceive as one long poem. Um, it, it has that richness. It's organized as it moves from, from book to book, so that in between each of these, there's a poem to or about 
the great companions of his life in poetry. So the, after the first section of the poem, which includes his quite amazing translation of, of Gerard Nerval's Les Chimères, uh, and the beginning of his long sequence, Imagination, comes great companion, a, a homage translation of a poem by Pinder. And then we come to the poems of the mid-60s into the 70s, the poems of syntax and streams, and the second great companion poem to uh, Robert Duncan, and so on. So you get, you get a feeling of the punctuation of the book and the way that it's shaped it, to be and is, as you read it, this one accomplishment of the imagination of a life. Uh, for further introduction, I just want to give you little tastes of, of the amazing range, range, sweetness and range and uh, power. Of here's here's pretty early Robin Blazer. Um, uh, it was hard to know. This, uh, this is the shorter one. I hope I'm not preempting, but it's good to hear poems twice. The intensities of these branches of willow open. So young poets were in the territory here of reading William Carlos Williams when he was, you weren't supposed to read William Carlos Williams in serving up the clear image. But look where he goes. The intensities of these branches of willow open. What is it? broke the skin. How lovely that jewel of under the skin, neither dark nor light, is my true love. The blonde whose beauty crosses the hand like money will fight for that true love. <laughs> That's the thing in cups, is that it starts in the image and veers into intellectual magic as someone said. May, I, I don't know, maybe it's emotional magic. Here's, here's, the, uh, the, here's middle blazer uh, to get a sense of the philosophical largeness of his vision. The task of a man and his words is at the edge where we are translated, restless men. The quarrel over the immortal language. One may believe in a God language behind us, but God moves to the end of our sentences where words foment a largeness of visible and invisible worlds. They are a commotion of one form. The voices moves into Eitel to quote, recognizable as fragments of a greater language. That might be Walter Benjamin, alive and changing face following men's hearts in the world, sharp and bird-throated. I don't think I have to read more to let you know that we're in the presence of a thrilling poet. Later, he, he looks back to his roots. This is late in the, in the Duncan-esque Poundian sequence, Image Nation, that that connects to his most powerful essays. His collected essays have also just appeared, The Fire, and the essays that come from his time at Berkeley and the, and the philosophical philosophers that he studied with here, including Hannah Arendt, figure in his meditation on the public world created out of the private world through the language of poetry. This thought about and articulated in a, in a very deep way in those wonderful essays. 
This is Image Nation 24, O'Shaw, P-S-H-A-W, O'Shaw. She said often around 1929, 1930, especially when I played with the lacy iron treadle of the sewing machine, so raveling the bobbin great-grandmother Ina, who had been secretary to Brigham Young, not a wife, she said of that revelation, small, playing tall in her long dress, first in fierce in thought. Don't read that stuff, she said, grabbing Red Book or Ladies Home Journal. If you're going to read, read something worth it. I, I'm tempted to read more, but I don't want to take time away from our short time. I just want to give you a sense of what a gift the poetry of Robin Blazer is to all of us. And now, welcome him back to Berkeley. I'd like to start with several poems by Jack Spicer. This ocean, humiliating in its disguises, tougher than anything. No one listens to poetry. The ocean does not mean to be listened to. A drop or crash of water, it means nothing. It is bread and butter pepper and salt, the death that young men hope for. Aimlessly it pounds the shore, white and aimless signals. No one listens to poetry. Another Spicer poem from the language. A redwood forest is not invisible at night. The blackness covers it but it covers the blackness. If they had turned letter Jeffers into a parking lot, death would have been eliminated and birth also. The lights shine 24 hours a day on a parking lot. True conservation is the effort of the artist and the private man to keep things true. Trees and the cliffs in Big Sur breathe in the dark. Jeffers knew the pain of their breath, and the pain was the death of a firstborn baby breathing. Death is not final, only parking lots. Something to keep in mind, especially as you get older. If you don't believe in God, don't quote him. Valerie once said, when he was about ready to give up poetry, the purposeful suspension of disbelief has about the chance of a snowball in hell. Lamias, maybe, or succubi, but they are about as real in California as night crawlers. Gods and stars or totems are not game animals. Snark hunting is not like discussing baseball against wisdom as such. Such tired wisdoms as the game hunters develop, shooting Zeus, Alpha Centauri, wolf with the same toy gun. It is deadly hard to worship God, star, and totem 
deadly easy to use them like worn-out condoms spattered by your own gleeful crafts and unworshipping wisdom. These are now, that's Spicer, these are now Robert Duncan. A short poem by Robert Duncan, Childhood's Retreat. It's in the perilous boughs of the tree out of blue sky. The wind sings loudest surrounding me. And solitude, a wild solitude's revealed fearfully high. I'd climb into the shaking uncertainties. Part out of longing, part daring myself, part to see that widening of the world, part to find my own, my secret hiding sense and place, where from afar all voices and sins come back. The barking of a dog, autumnal burnings, far calls, close calls. The boy I was calls out to me, hear the man where I am. Look, I've been where you most fair to be. That's most fear to be. Cherubim number two. Pourquoi la vie a-t-elle créé, s'est-elle créée, une bouche de tongue à quelle elle les secrétait, cette langue pour bavarder, pour parler, pour dire, pourquoi cette langue, langue florissait-elle de cette Gorge, cette gueule qui a toujours quel désir, quelle envie la veillerait, tout de retourner, tout à la vie d'où elle était née. In this rolling, extend feathered wing to feathered wing, the lion, wind in the cloud, towers at the center of all horizons, and waits times falling into itself. This roar announces, eyes meeting eyes so touch, we fall into time out of time, space out of space. Your face ever comes forward to meet me where I am. We are, how quiet the house is in this. Unquieting arrest, still you have made room for me. Here, in the opening of a door, you have made a place of rest in which I am. Only I, only you, life, declaring itself in us. And now, I'll move directly to some of my own. Quitting a job. Nothing to it. I counted my money. There wasn't much. I took a cup of wild courage out of the Charles River. Yellow iris perched like canaries on the shore. Climb out of the rocks, I said. With thirty-three years, you have a few left. Whatever the fortune teller in Chicago said, you won't die strangled. 
the tea leaves sparkle. Oh, I expect the joy to last all summer. I'll hang on to it with a gull beak. The hot Boston summer, the sweating thighs, the slow building irritation with the wild, wild wilted people, streets, subways, window ledges. Dusty sparrows dart among the red-legged pigeons, winning bread. Last week, I quit my job. It is a geographical necessity, I said, to find an image for this century. Crowded, speechless, I need time. Whatever it is, here, where it isn't, the blue-winged flies are almost beautiful. I think of Lawrence's angry poems, What have they done to you, men of the masses, creeping back and forth to work? Ah, the people, the people, merely they are flesh of my flesh. Part two, the dancer completes a turn, stands waiting to resume, rhythmic, sexual, begins again on Cambridge Street. The arms lift away from the body for balance. The hands close, breathless, touching the air as a cat paws at the unimagined beasts. Look at it. The joy will outlast summer. I quit my job. I abolished money. The moon shines through the straggly body of a tree of heaven. They grow out of gutters, drain pipes, among the falling bricks between vacant houses. The stars are like leaves this summer. I've tasted their sweat. I think of two foos rabbit-pounding bitter herbs, the seeding grass, and yes, this blue inward mountain. Imagination 5, Erasure. As the image wears away, there is a wind in the heart. The translated men disappear into what they have translated. Rocking the heart, a childish man entangles an absence a still life at the edge of his body, erasing the body of those opposites who are companions, and also horizons in one another's eyes at the end of the world. The words do not end, but come back from the adventure. The body is at the edge of their commotion. The nonsense the marvelous clarity in the pool of the heart. We quarrel over immortal word. Many times one falls out of the mortal there suddenly of missing, the missing, unwarned journey, outward journey. Oh, we do all things walk contrary to the world. A Nervalian movement of astonishment and an arm around a hollyhock. 
wore foxglove, as if we dressed in them, a flowered man, the bees disturb the stillness, seeking sweetness in the pockets, an art as natural as lunch poems, or an extravagant speaking out of the Gnostic horse's mouth, a translation of oneself into the other is so delicately purchased among words, this technique binding the heart like small poems read from vast stages, the images of the war in Vietnam burn up out of the words where they are not added to the real but compose it where the body burns in bubbles of fat and reopens into something without lineaments. Traces, the old Bedouin poets called them encampments of what was a movement. The seven poems called Golden give the same pattern of this movement. I stop over the encampment before it wears away. I tell you of my prowess in love to gain your attention at the edge of this movement, a torrent, and then traces of wild beasts drowned in the watercourse, lay like drawn bolts of wild onions. The day lightning split the last big Douglas fir. On this street, all the houses filled with the pale green. Luminous movement, I stood up from my work table waiting for the house to flame. This coherence falls like rain into the syllables. This is herence of a golden poem translating bloody blood dancers and whirling drunken lives into a tense music of a hollyhock. Mallarmé said, L'immortel parole is missing from our speech the constant movement of finitude which reopens, converging backward with primal elements, syllables of a longing for completion. The task of a man and his words is at the edge where we are translated, restless men, the quarrel over the men, the quarrel over the immortal language. One may believe in a God language behind us, but God moves to the end of our sentences where words foment a largeness of visible and invisible worlds that are a commotion of one form. The voice is recognizable as fragments 
of a greater language, a live and changing face, following men's hearts in the world, sharp and bird-throated. I turn to answer the goldsmith's hammer down the street, day and night awake, confounding the fish and the gods. Yesterday I sent tidings to a star for you. Present my care, I said. The star could recognize your moon-like form. I bent my head over the words I sent. Take that care to the sun, the rocks, and the gold. I stopped, I stepped back, shameless, and showed the holes in my heart to the star. Give news of me to the beloved, I said. I rocked my heart, the child was restless. I look for the cup-bearer. The beloved is the murmur inside the work, at the edge of the words. The silence is the other at the edge of my words, a movement. The words drink us up. Who is speaking? Dear beings, I can feel your hands. Now this is a Berkeley poem of some years back, 1994. Well, I was walking up Euclid Avenue this morning, hand in hand with Galileo, toward the Rose Garden and my old house on Oak Street Path. He was really burnt up about the recent apology, said the very milk of human kindness curdled in his transparency, when Giordano Bruno, attracted by our bodily warmth, ran across the street to join us, said, it's better to go on burning in eternity. Things burn into one and the other. <laughs> I like that part. <laughs> so, do I have time for some more? A few more here? Luck, unluck, and one luck. The heart turns inside out of the mouth and eyes, out of the indeterminate ear, blue dogs of the hillside, hunt the skin play of suddenness. The Egyptians did not close the mouth and the eyes at the edge of the sun, but opened them and gave boats. Rosario Jimenez, I'm in now, in 1945, who at the round table read Garcia Lorca and Homer, talks to herself behind the glass door. Ernst Kantorowicz, this is 1948, who taught the young to think swiftly an essential history. Like Richard's robe, only he could take off. Divinity alone removes the divinity of an empty coat. 1945, 1965, Jack Spicer, who tore himself up in language. I can't bear it, I said, then studied his peril and task. 19 dash 
the hound voice of earth and sky, men, women, and gods folding inside the effacement of words, the puns in ice, a laughter, a voice thus on a cigarette chokes to a whisper and sharpens. The edge of a blade, who is speaking, I hear the other toss up. Knowledge is a moth, a friend sent on a postcard, with Michael Snow's camera of the central region on the front, there in the mountains, all by itself and a singing computer. The horizon first ahead of you, at your edge, then around you, without you, in the motionless light of mineral, in the white perfume of magnolia, pink-edged on the fleshy, spotted and almost black abyss of a poppy as we exchange muted forgiveness with the eye of a cat, the unknowing like a fish hook, a fire flower eaten petals, the eagle is perched there on the tongue, at the mouth, white flowers unsheathed to resolve language ahead of us behind the fire from unknown mouths the wind rises where that would not become God fortune in fortune fortune suddenly I live in a room named East on the map of the West at the edge near the door cedars and alders mix and tower full of ravens first thing each morning whose song is a sharpness we quarreled so over the genius of the heart whose voice is capable they come on horseback in the middle of the night two of them with a horse for me and we ride bareback clinging to the white manes at the edge of the sea splash burst open to divine the hidden and forgotten source who is transparent where the moon drops out of the fog to bathe but not to us the retired heart where the wind glitters. That's a poem dedicated to Ellen Tolman, who many of you must know. As if by chance, the private sector worries me. It, it can, the ubiquitous they say, solve, that is, clean up the economy, which at the upper level is called economics. That is, confined science, confused science, and confused theology prancing around together as usual, is under the cultural, like oil or gas under the hood or roof, and unpredictably disappearing from under us. And the political, 
which, by manipulation, is over the stunned polis in order to manage production, distribution, and consumption of wealth, becomes political economy. Thus, what is under becomes what is over, and vice versa, to define realities without earth and sky, which are cultural habitudes. And the cultural which, not limited by high, low, or midly, is conflict around the creation of reality, and may be invisible as thought is, and is neither formulaic, bonded like chemicals, nor nostalgic, which is a dangerous and transcendent condition, having forgotten that transcendence like ourselves is historical, even in dreams. And the social, which is a struggle against dominations and powers, the society of which is recently made up of those who were not previously there. And mass culture, which is new, misunderstood, and ungenerous about historical consciousness, mirrors privacies that dissolve in soap and is jubilant from which sorrow may learn. And democracy, which is recent, unathenian, unperaclean, incomplete, and by nature unstable and creative, and the sexual, which is the passionate body of all chemicals. And our ethos, which is the behavior of one another, near and far, many to many define character, and it is visible not, as the dictionary tells us, the moral ideal or universal element in a work of art as distinguished from that which is emotional and subjective. Wow, dissolve that, and ethos becomes possible action. Character, for the sake of the action, and pathos is there among, among kindnesses. And the universal which is absent from 20th century thought, according to the poesis afoot, and technology, which has wild arms and a human nature unaware of itself, and the angels who became isms and hierarchies in order to immaterialize the real things we are thrown up against as we become startled subjects to which I object. And religion, which, dismissed from the plane of thought, gathers Godhead in small envelopes of cement, whereon the postage changes. Human survival, which, with all its adjectival ironies, proposes a social inheritance. And the good, which we know as goodness and expletive, something added to fill up the whole that has nothing to do with it, and which is fragile and our own composition. And love, which is true attention to whatever and sometimes someone. And friendship, which is guidance guidance in every attention.
the private sector economizes hither and yon as it was a past participant in bereavement and deprivation as it is now a relationship between privies with the exception of an infinitely distant point as mathematicians say the world as such says Castoriadis. When Nietzsche said, God is dead, he knew that words are bits of our bodies, big and little, and the really big one is God, who we've thrown everything into. That's what the eternal return is going on about, bits of our bodies caught up in it. That's 2 July 2001, that bit of wisdom. A true story of, I'm 19, no 20, looking for watercress in the mine's ditches, cold running ripple of Strawberry Creek. And Jack, Spicer that is, says, come on, let's go to the Trotskyite meeting tonight. A fold of 14 there, and one stood up, quote, I move we ban supernaturalist religions. <laughs> I elbowed Spicer and said, what if? He said, go for it. I stood up. Point of order. I'm papal nuncio for the Bay Area. They kicked us out and changed their meeting to a secret place. Month, months later, I ran into one of them. I said, how's it going? He said, comes to the revolution, you'll hang from the lamppost. <laughs> Unlikely as it may seem, his name was also Robin. A chill passed over my joke. Now I'm 76 looking around for watercress. And um, there were two accent pillows embroidered with dragonflies, a favorite bug, loved as much as water spiders, capturing tiny air bubbles with their walking feet to stride on water. The clerk said, you ought to buy those pillows before that motif goes out of fashion. How did she know? Was she listening in on my mind that I chase after the wings and motivations of dragons over hills, dales, and sky-graphed streets for their fiery sincerity? No thanks, I said to the pillows. <laughs> the clock is back. Tick and talk. Time has such nonchalance. You can hear time walk on rainbows and bridges of believe it or not. That's how I caught gravure of all it in crystal here on my writing table. A winged fairy and Buddha who refused to become God. They gaze in radiance and talk. On page 61 of any book, if your book is smaller than that, try page 1, 
there's a great a grass there. There's a grass angel, and your metaphysics burns up, smiling like a kiss with everyone at all. Dear dusty moth, wearing Miller's cloth, Sophia Nichols' soft voice calls wings at dusk across railroads and sagebrush to lull me to sleep. Come to these window corners. Come, rest on my boy's dreams and flight. Come tonight. Robert Duncan said, Don't tell anyone we loved Butterfield 8. <laughs> That's a quotation. <laughs> All right. Robert Duncan said, Don't tell anyone we loved Butterfield 8. Comedic tears run down my cheeks tonight under the lamp of the sheer romance of it. Of course, I'll tell all these years later, and you're gone on in your magnificence, alarm of laughter, who dumped my clothes in the waste basket, whose teeth brushed with bourbon, whose fur coat did I run home in. I leave out the I leave out the cat and the sorrow. Ethel Merman, that's a voice I like. Just roses from the top and in the streets. There it is, my plate. Blow that kiss, put high in your hair, and wait. You love no morning and night, our song. Woke this morning talking. Operator, operator, get the whole town on the line. I want to know who gives a sh. <laughs> well, you know, you gotta say it true sometimes. All right, well, we've got a few more here and then we'll. <laughs> there it goes flying like a crow in the high winds of this chaos, the must of the practice of outside. There, there's a way to walk blind, there's a way to talk blind, if you want to. Ladybug, ladybug, here on my hand, do you love me? Because I am a, am a warm, and my black dotted mind roams in the distance where reality hums. Ladybug, ladybug, your house is aflame, and your love is at home. And this was a shorty. Sea and sky desiring and the boat with its vibrant pink sail on English Bay calls each of us to sail those passionate adventures out there, desiring, I know it's the white desire of the clouds drifting when the moon rushes into the game and drill of sexual language loving it out there, the particular peril as desire trusts. Nobody, so nobody, so what shall we say of the soul? 
that it may be a space of space. Let's start this again. No body. So what shall we say of the soul? That it may be of space and of time, the self in the beyond, in order to exist somewhere, or it is arranged like music, the tune of it, epicurean and fiery, unafraid of the body and its green moth at the provisional door. These short poems I've never read out loud to anybody before, so you'll forgive me, you're getting the works, kids. Whose salted heart we've met, it turns out, in a labor of form, a cultural largeness talking to itself. Its memory damages, so the past is over the hill, out of shape, momentarily tigerish disarray of who made thee, thus troubling the lyric mind with salts. December 2006. So never let the world go by, it won't anyway. Talk about it, think about it, write about it, don't let it float without your floating in it. Singing your song, that's all there is to poetry. You're not allowed to say kiss my ass to anyone unless you mean it sincerely and drop your pants quickly to show that you know exactly of this nakedness. Are you shocked by that, my dears? What do you do if all the what would you do if all the lovers of your years passed by at midnight dressed in the flesh they wore when you last loved them? What do I do? What do I say? I loved you then. I touch you now with all the glow you left in the palm of my hands. A couple more here. I like to talk to moonlight when the fog lets it out. I like to say, how are you? Answering to the calm light of it. Wow, stick to the dark of this and whisper, next time, dear light of this. I've had, this is called BB gun, I've had 83 years of this century. Never forget what you know, say it over and over. The communicability of experience is decreasing. Explanations of BB guns splattering. Smile then, hopefully. What have you not said? Just tell. Know your century for its wickedness and tell the love of it. Don't take it with you. Tell, tell. Whose fault was it? Tell. What can I do to forgive it? What then is humanity? At 83, I find everything erotic. That's absolutely true. <laughs> At 83, I find everything erotic. That's the stomping ground of all intelligence. The intellect picks it up from the ground and gives language as a kind of music to dance around. Highly recommended. 
Now, I think this could be the last one today. Uh, August 2005 is this one. And I have, I hope, said, this is my silver day. Now make it golden. A walk, a talk, a voice. And it does have a heart. A chime, when the gold sounds so dark, so deep in the heart of life. I hold you. I told you life wanders. Well met. Oh, I hope. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.